apex of human experience conceived in a virgin womb. Heaven's perfection breathes his first in a bar. The fullness of God beats in the heart of a helpless infant. This is the genius of his birth. The requirements of the law outmatched by the righteousness of God. Sovereign simplicity confounds the wisdom of this world. Relentless mercy humbles the proud and heals the broken. This is the genius of his life. The light of the world wrapped in our darkness, freedom and strength bound in our weakness, the peacemaker pierced, the creator destroyed, the power to save spent not for himself. This is the genius of his cross. Death's signature victory stripped by love's ultimate triumph. Hell's finest hour eclipsed by the dawning of grace. Limitless hope lives again in all who believe. This is the genius of resurrection. The lamb slain so that man no more may die. The suffering servant before whom all will bow. His finished work is the fountain of all new beginnings. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. This is the genius of Jesus. Amen, amen. Can we give a clap for God? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, would you join me and stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Uh, Luke 23, verse 50. You can follow along on the side screens. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and actions, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your resurrection. God, I pray that this morning, my words would be clear, they'd be your words, not mine. Uh, we thank you that we get to gather together to remember and to celebrate. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Uh, my name is Eric. Uh, I get to be the pastor here. Uh, let's try this uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right, all right. Happy Easter. Uh, it's nice to have the second service crowd First service is a little more quiet, but you guys are ready. You've had your coffee, right? That's right. 
Uh, growing up as a kid, I desperately wanted to go to Disney World. I wanted to go to Disney World so bad. My friends went there all the time. I don't know if, like, like me, maybe same thing for you, wanted to go to Disney World as a kid. Finally, at age 14, my parents took our whole family down to Disney World. Let me tell you, it was amazing. It was beyond my expectations. I don't know if you've been there, but Disney World is one of my favorite places in the world. I love Disney World. It was awesome. Got to, you know, you're on a boat and you see the castle rising up in the distance as, as you're coming in. I got to meet Mickey Mouse, like the real Mickey Mouse. He was there. I got his signature. It was awesome. Got to meet Mickey, go on all the rides. Disney World was amazing. So fast forward a couple years, I'm engaged to be married to Kristen. And uh, I was like, have you ever been to Disney World? She's like, no, that's where we got to go for our honeymoon. Forget Hawaii, forget France, forget anywhere else. Disney World, that's where we got to go. Now you think as a young man who is getting married and going to spend oh, a week with his wife, getting to know her in the biblical sense, like that would be good enough. But I'm like, no, we got to do Disney World too. So we actually went to Disney World on our honeymoon. Well, this last fall, uh, my wife and I, we've got three kids, kind of unexpectedly found out we're having number four. So we're like, all right, that means it's going to be a long time before we take our kids to Disney World, unless we do it now. And so we took our kids this last winter to Disney World. But let me tell you, it's a little different taking all your kids to Disney World than going by yourself. Can I get an amen? Anyone else done that difference? You know, before, when you're like 14 and it's all new, like even the lines are amazing. You're like looking around and the music and the things, the lines are amazing. Like the food is like the best food you've had in your life. Like it's just an awesome experience. You go back with kids and now I just see lines for days. The lines aren't quite so amusing. You know, this time when I see Mickey Mouse, I'm thinking, man, how hot is it inside there? You know, like, and whoever's inside there is pretty short actually. You know, and I'm looking at the food. I'm like, there's no healthy food here anyway, anywhere. Like, it's, it's not the same experience. And, you know, now all I see are just the crying, whining kids everywhere. And I'm like, man, do you, don't you even, like, discipline your kids? And then I realize, oh, wait, those are my kids. Never mind. Like, <laughs> sorry about that. But it's different than when you go the first time and then later in life. And the same is true for you and me who are followers of Jesus at the very first time. We come to understand new life and forgiveness alone through Jesus. And we understand we can have purpose and hope in our life. And things come alive. And it's all brand new. We understand that people, we don't just use them. That we actually serve people. We love people. We see people. And we begin to life, live life a whole new way. But what happens is that slowly we drift. And just like that magic of the first time you're at Disney World, it kind of wears off. Same with the Christian life. It starts to slowly wear off because we drift. If you're taking notes this morning, we like to give you a note sheet in your uh, program. And one of that is we don't want to just give you a bunch of information. I don't want to just be up here talking, but we want to actually help you have a life of transformation. My goal is not to say anything on Sunday that you can't use on Monday. And so we would encourage you to take notes if you want. You don't have to, uh, but it helps you get the information. If you can hear it, see it, write it, discuss it with some friends. And so uh, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. That we drift. We drift. We forget what this is all about. See, on Easter Sunday, when the band is rocking, and, you know, when we have an amazing tomb built by Devin uh, in, our, in our church, I was like, hey, can you build us a tomb out of wood? And she's like, yeah. Can you give her a hand? She did an awesome job building the tomb. I love it. Our cross that Casey built. 
On Easter Sunday, it's easy to remember that God is alive, that he is good. But before you know it, it's just another Monday. And you're trying to get your kids to four different activities. And you're just trying to meal prep and get to the grocery store and feed your family because for some strange reason, they want to eat every single night, right? And you're trying to make it to Tuesday where you can just crash and watch some of your shows that you've recorded on DVR. Don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to crashing on Tuesday night and getting some downtime after Easter, but we drift. It's so easy to forget what all of this is all about. Have you ever had maybe just a great Sunday? Maybe the band was just something they sang or it just really spoke to your heart. Maybe it's something Pastor Nader or I said that just you were thinking about all week long. But by Wednesday, you kind of had an, an alter ego. On Wednesday, you don't look like how you looked on Sunday with tears streaming down your face. On Wednesday, things are, are, are changing. On Sunday, you felt like you, know, you could kick the devil in the teeth and raise a bunch of world changers. But on Wednesday, you're just changing another diaper, and you feel like maybe you've been kicked in the teeth. And it's just so easy to drift. And I understand that. I get that. We drift so quickly. Like, I understand that today, if I don't finish on time, like, you're going to let me know. You know, because it's like, you know, at, at 1045, it's like, he is risen, amen. And if we, you know, we go much past uh, noon, you guys are going to be like, come on, pastor, we got brunch plans, right? Uh, past 1130, sorry. You guys are freaking out. I'm like, what? <laughs> noon? I thought it was an hour service. Sorry, my bad. Yes, it's an hour service. We're going to get done by 1130. Because we drift. How long did it take the disciples to drift? Just about three days. Thursday night, they're having dinner with Jesus in the flesh. And he's telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to defeat the powers of sin and death. I'm going to rise again. Three days later, they're hiding in a locked room. On Friday, Jesus hangs on a cross for six hours. He's buried in Joseph's tomb. And they just begin to drift. And Sunday morning, they're just completely lost. They're thinking it's over. It's done. He's dead. Now, we can all sit here and feel bad because we all drift, just like the disciples. We're all prone to wander, prone to drift, but condemnation is not going to serve you today. Condemnation never helped anyone. We're all in this together. We all drift together. If the original 12 disciples, or I should say 11, because one of them really drifted and never really came back, but if the original 11 could drift so easily, we should all give ourselves a little bit of a break the physical Jesus, if, if the physical Jesus can tell the disciples, I'm going to suffer and die and then rise again three days later, and they just forget in just three days, that shows the human propensity to drift. But leave it to the faithful women. They show up. And I love this about the Gospel of Luke, which we've been in for about the last 16 months. Luke always paints the women in a positive light. He's always affirming. The Bible always lifts up women. Here at Mosaic, we want to encourage, lift up women, men, children, everyone. And, and these women, they prepared spices. They're going to show up at the grave. Why are they bringing these spices? Well, it's to prepare the body, to let it decay properly. See, in that day, uh, you die on a cross, you get buried into a, a tomb. And it's really just more like a, uh, a place where your body would decompose. So they'd have these racks, these, these shelves in the tomb, and you'd put bodies in there, and they different levels of decay. Jesus' tomb was brand new. No one had been in there before. He's the first one in there. Uh, and so they show up with their spices to help the decaying process. And then 
They knew this was part of the goodbye. They'd come back a couple months later when the bones were clean, they'd pick up the bones and put them in a box. That's what they did back then. So these ladies, they prepare their spices, they sit through Sabbath, and they come back Sunday morning ready to prepare the body. But what they find is, is the, 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 two, the stone has been rolled away, which by itself was a miracle. It would have taken many grown men to roll the stone away. And then they encounter two angels in dazzling apparel, in dazzling apparel. And the angels ask the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? This week as I thought about it, I thought, man, how often do I do that in my own life? How often do I seek life, things that's going to give me purpose and hope and things that inherently aren't alive, things that are dead? If I could just make this much money, if I could just have this job, if I could just get some respect, if I could just get back to what I weighed in college and get my beach body back. Come on, anyone else? Amen. Amen. If I could just be, if I could just do, but none of those things will bring true and lasting life because we drift. And the angels ask them, why are you looking here? As if to say, there's another, a better place to look. Why are you looking here when you should be looking somewhere else? See, you and I, we should question ourselves whenever we crave things that are dead. When we're looking for life in places that won't give us lasting, true, real life. We should be asking ourselves questions. Why do I keep going back to that relationship when it doesn't bring me life, when it's just filled with death? Why do I keep looking to that food or to that substance or to my boss to give me affirmation when I know it's just death? It's not true life. Why do we seek the living among the dead? We're just so prone to do that. Do you know why those women were there on Easter morning to prepare the body? They just forgot They just simply forgot. And you and I, we so easily forget. As we drift, we just forget. And the angel said to them, remember what he said. Remember what he said. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And I picture their countenance all changed. They're like, that's right. He told us he's going to die and then rise again. So they take off running back to those faithful, believing 11 men, disciples. They're like, you're never going to believe it. Jesus is alive. And they're like, yeah, nah, I don't think so. (laughs) They don't believe him as they're hiding behind their locked doors. If nothing else, be very encouraged this morning. You're much further along your faith than you thought. If the founders of our faith could drift so quickly... You're doing so much better. At least you're not hiding behind a locked door this Easter morning. You actually came to a service. Uh, Give yourselves a little pat in the back. You were here this morning. Good job. We're all, but we all drift. Just like the disciples. We just all drift. We just forget so easily. But Jesus disrupts our drifting. Jesus disrupts. See, in every good story, there's a disruption. You got a family sitting down for breakfast. They're eating their cereal bacon and eggs, whatever it might be, Will Smith with his family, everything's going well. All of a sudden, aliens attack, ah, you know, right? I always wouldn't have a story. Aliens have to come in. Tom Hanks walking around, bumps into this girl. They drop their stuff. Ah, it's the meat cute. There's now the disruption in his life. And now there's going to be a story. Orphan boy grows up, meets a wizard, a person who tells him, you're going to be a Jedi Knight or you're going to be going to Hogwarts. Same story, you know. Uh, There's a disruption there into their story. 
That's what Jesus does. He disrupts things. See, the disciples drifted, but Jesus disrupts. But the disciples, they forgot that. They forgot that Jesus disrupts blindness. See, there's a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus is walking with his disciples, his homeboys, and he's going along, and they see a man who's blind, and they say, Jesus, who sinned? That man or his parents? They're like, you got, someone's got to have sins because that's not good. He's blind. And Jesus is like, no, neither. That man's blind, so that God get the glory. And then Jesus does this crazy thing. He spits in the ground. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? Then he makes mud. Like, what are you doing? Then he puts the mud on the guy's eyes. Oh, Jesus, you're crazy. And he's like, go wash the mud off. Like, go quick. And he can see. Jesus disrupts blindness. Maybe this morning you came in and you have a tough time seeing how God is good. In your own life, you have a tough time seeing that he is alive, that he has a resurrection power in your life. And this morning, maybe Jesus wants to spit in your eye, make a little mud, and disrupt your blindness. See, the disciples drifted and forgot that Jesus even disrupted death. In the Gospel of John, it tells of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, these three siblings who are close friends with Jesus. And I like to picture Lazarus as the middle brother who with an older sister named Martha and a younger sister named Mary, because I have an older sister and a younger sister, and so I identify with Lazarus very much. And so Martha, Lazarus, Mary, the three of them, they're friends with Jesus. Lazarus gets sick, and things aren't going well, and he's not doing good. So like, go get Jesus, our good buddy. So it's all right. He's got this. He's, he's got this. He'll heal our brother. And Jesus is like, okay, okay. So they're waiting. Okay, this is fine. Jesus is going to come. And then he doesn't. And days pass, and, and, and Lazarus gets worse, and Lazarus dies. And Mary and Martha are like, what? I thought, I thought we knew Jesus. I thought we were close with him. Hmm. Well, we believe Jesus can still raise the dead. We're going to keep believing and a day goes by, and the brother is dead. And two days goes by, and three days go by. And Mary and Martha think, I guess we didn't know Jesus like we thought we did. I guess we weren't as close as we thought. I guess let's bury our brother. Then four days later, Jesus rolls up with his disciples like, what's up, Mary and Martha? And they're like, What? And Martha, I love Martha. She's like, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus is like, show me where you laid him. Jesus says, show me where you stopped believing. And this morning, that's where Jesus says to you, show me where you stopped believing. And they come to that tomb and there's a rock in front of it. He says, roll the stone away. Jesus says, get rid of that hard thing that's sitting in front of your heart so I can go in and heal. That's what maybe Jesus is saying to you this morning. What is that rock, that hard thing you've placed in front of your heart? Jesus is asking you, roll that out of the way so he could get in there and do his work. So Jesus stands in front of that open grave and I love it because the sisters are like, Jesus, we don't want to move the rock because he's going to start to smell by now because he started to decay. And he's like, it's all right, I got this. And he rolls up his sleeves. And he's like, Lazarus, come out. And there's Lazarus bound up all in his grave clothes. And Lazarus is like, I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming, Jesus. 
And he's all bound up. And I love what an old preacher said. He said, it's so good that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Otherwise, you'd have all the dead guys in there being like, all right, Jesus, here we come. Here we come. Like, right? And I love that they come out. Lazarus comes out in his grave clothes. And then Jesus tells disciples, you unbind him. Because we're meant to do this in community because we drift. Like Mary and Martha, we forget. And Jesus says, show me the place where you stopped trusting me. And Jesus disrupts even death. And then Jesus disrupts their doubts. In Luke 24, it says this, as they were talking about these things, the women, they go to the grave, they come, they show up to the disciples, they're like, nah, we don't think so. You crazy women, we're not gonna believe you. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, boo, oh, peace to you. Same thing, that's the original Hebrew, is actually boo. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I love this. Jesus pops up in the middle of their doubts. He disrupts it and he's like, here I am. Peace to you. They're like, what? And I feel so bad for Thomas. How many of you guys have heard the phrase doubting Thomas? Right? The disciple who's called doubting Thomas. Poor guy gets such a bad rap. Like, none of the disciples believed. They all doubted, right? They were all doubting right here. Otherwise, when Jesus showed up, boo. You know, you'd have like Bartholomew be like, I told you, I told you he's going to come back, right? That's what I would have done if I, if I would have believed and knew. And maybe, maybe you're holier than me, but that's what I would have done. But none of the disciples were like, I told you. They're like, what? Who is this guy? It, it can't be Jesus. We saw him die. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why did Jesus show them his hands and his feet? They could see him. Why did they show him his hands and his feet? Because when he sat on that cross, his hands were pierced, his feet were pierced with those nail holes. If Jesus in his risen, glorified body could heal the scars from his brow where they placed the crown of thorns, if he could heal the whip marks and the chunks of flesh they ripped out of his back as they pulled that whip into there and pulled it out, why didn't he heal the nail marks in his hands and his feet? Was he not able to? Or did he know the disciples were going to drift. And he left those holes to disrupt their doubt, to put their fingers in the holes and believe it's really you. I think Jesus did that. He left those nail holes to show them it's really me. I'm not just a ghost, not just a spirit. I really died. I really rose again. See, the disciples, they drifted. And you and I drift. They forgot. We forget. So how do we remember when we're so prone to wander and to drift? Well, as your pastor, my advice would be to find two angels in dazzling apparel and ask them to periodically remind you of the words of Jesus. Hey, remember what Jesus said? Oh, that's right. Okay, this is good. If you have access to a couple of angels in dazzling apparel, I would highly recommend you doing that. For the rest of us, 
Scripture tells us what to do when we so are prone to wander. It's to gather together. We gather because we drift. One of the main reasons we gather together is to be reminded, to remember, and to rehearse. To be reminded, to remember, and to rehearse. See, we remember the words of Jesus when we hear it proclaimed. We remind each other as we confess the truths of God in our lives. Why do we sing? It's to remind each other of God's reckless, amazing love. And to rehearse. See, someday, this is just a big rehearsal. Someday we're going to go to heaven altogether. And heaven is going to be this beautiful, chaotic, wonderful mosaic of a mix. Here at Mosaic, we want this to be a diverse place, a diverse in age, diverse in socioeconomic uh, lifestyles, diverse in race, in backgrounds. Because we want to rehearse for heaven, amen? We want to reflect the creative goodness of God and the way that heaven's going to be. And so we gather to remember, that's right, heaven's going to look a whole lot different than just how my neighborhood looks or, or my everyday life. That's right, we're all different. We need each other. We need to remind each other. We need to gather. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, we gather together to confess when we sing these words, we are confessing that he is alive in us. We are confessing that Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He's the lamb that was shed for us. He's also the lion who fights for us. We confess that he has a reckless love that loves us beyond what we can possibly imagine. That it seems foolish to us that God would come out of heaven, put himself on flesh, be born into a tiny manger, grow up to suffer and die for us. That seems so reckless and foolish. But God's love pursues us even here. And so we gather to confess our hope that he is faithful. See, a lot of us will talk about, you know, our, our, our Bible reading at home, We'll Instagram it, we'll Facebook it, journaling, prayer, and that's all good and important. One of the most spiritual things you can do is get together with other believers over a cup of coffee just to remind each other, to confess to each other that he is alive. See, the truth is I'm gonna have some bad days. I need you to remind me. I need your confession of faith to remind me that he's good. Same with you. You're going to have bad days. We need each other to remind each other. We need to sit down over a table, cup of coffee, or wherever you might want to sit down, Taco Bell, I don't know, wherever you want to sit, and say, remember, remember, why are you freaking out about your job or your spouse or your kids? Jesus is alive. He is our hope he is faithful. He will do what he has promised. Let's go get you another Americano. That's going to help, right? That's what we need to do. That's how we help each other when we drift. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the kind of community that we have been called to be. We need to stir up each other to keep loving others, to keep serving others, to do good works. Have you made plans to encourage someone this week? Put it in your in your calendar, meet with your friends, meet with your small group, stir up one another. We're not called to just sit in rows, but we're called to be an army, doing good works, pushing back the armies of darkness, proclaiming hope 
and truth to this world, pushing back the chains of racism, breaking down all barriers to say that we are all loved by God. We love each other. We need to stir up each other. This isn't just on me or Pastor Nate or up here. We need to stir up each other. There's no one sitting on the sidelines. Get in the game. We're all in this together. We need to stir up each other. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now you read that and you're like, here comes the pastor with the sales pitch. I need to show up a little more often. No, that's not what this is about. It's saying that life is more than just drifting. Life is about real life now. Life is about coming alive through the power and the presence of Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did he do on Easter? He defeated death, the final enemy. Have you ever considered how dominant of an enemy death is? How many of our prayers are for safety, for us or for our children, because we're so afraid of dying? How many of us spend so much of our time and energy and resources, making it look like we're not slowly aging, slowly dying, getting rid of all the wrinkles, the gray hair, everything. We don't even want to acknowledge that someday we're going to die, but we are. But Jesus has conquered that enemy. And we can either live in the dread of death or know that Jesus defeated death. Are we going to live in the dread of death, or will we remember the one who defeated death? And when we live in the knowledge that Jesus defeated death and the powers of sin and hell, that will completely transform the way we live. We'll see that I don't have to be afraid of death. That, that, that death, where is your sting? To know that, you know what? Once I die, I'm going to be face to face with the one who loves me, the one who died on the cross for me, and I can be with him forever, and that eternal life starts right now. Because I know Jesus, and he's come in, he's transformed and changed my life. And I no longer have to look in dead places, in graveyards, for something that's true life. I don't have to keep going back to those old relationships, those old substances to find life, because Jesus is alive and he's defeated those things. Amen? Amen? In order for that new thing to happen, Jesus has to disrupt the old thing. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21 the end of the story, spoiler alert, heaven comes to earth. Do you know we don't go to heaven when we die, that heaven actually comes to earth? And that God will make his dwelling among us? That we will be together, that heaven and earth will collide? And it says that he'll wipe away all their tears. God will be our God. And he will make all things new. But he can't make all things new until he disrupts the old thing in your life. Maybe this Easter morning, Jesus wants to disrupt that old thing in your life. Maybe this morning, Jesus wants to disrupt the blindness you've had over your eyes and you can't see the goodness and grace of God. Maybe he wants to disrupt death in your life or the doubts that you're holding on to. See, salvation isn't about what you can do, it's about what God has done for you. I think a lot of us think of grace what Jesus offers us like this. 
you're, you're, you're speeding down the road, you see the lights behind you, oh no, you get pulled over the cop, license, registration, and the officer says, you know what, I'm not going to give you a speeding ticket, even though you've been going, you know, 10 miles over the speed limit. All of us think that's grace. It's actually mercy, not getting what we deserve. Grace is the police officer says, you know what, here's the keys to my car, here's the keys to my house, and a scoop of ice cream, here you go. That's what grace is. Measurably more than we could ask or imagine. Beyond what we could hope for. That's what Jesus offers through the cross. That's what grace is. I heard someone describe it this way, that uh, you go into a bathroom, you have two kinds of paper towel dispensers. You have the kinds you have to, you have to hit, boom, 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 and you get kicked the paper towels to come down, they always rip, and you got to work really hard to get a paper towel. I hate those. <laughs> then there's the automatic dispensaries, where you just wave your hand underneath, boom, it pops out. And you just receive it. That's what grace is. It's not working hard, working, working, working to get this, and then I tear it out. No! It's just putting your hands out and receiving from Jesus. It's receiving through the blood of Christ, mercy and grace and life. Nothing that you've done. It's just simply receiving. It's not striving, not working hard. It's not religion. It's just receiving. Maybe this morning, as I've been talking, you felt you've got some blindness in your life. Maybe there's some death. Maybe you've been looking for life in dead places. Maybe there's just some doubts. And Jesus wants to disrupt those things. I'm gonna ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed as we close. If you're here this morning, and you're saying, Eric, I want to receive the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. I just want to reach out my hands. Maybe for the very first time, I want to pray for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is on the count of three, to put your hand up and then back down, just to acknowledge. I'm going to ask you to respond physically and externally because I believe what is happening to you internally is real. And when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it becomes all the more real to you. So on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to respond Say, I need the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, maybe for the very first time. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to stop striving and receive that free gift of grace and forgiveness. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand up high and then put it back down. One, God loves you. Two, I believe you're never going to be the same again. Three, if you want to receive that free gift of grace and mercy from God, put your hands up. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for those hands that went up. And God, I pray that new life would just burst forth. God, that they would feel you stirring inside of them. God, they would know that you are alive and you are alive in us. God, I pray that you would disrupt the death in this room, the doubts the spiritual blindness, the striving, God, that we would just reach out our hands and receive from you and stop striving, stop worrying. God, that we would know that you love us and you offer immeasurably more unmerited favor and grace.
God, be with us now as we just celebrate your resurrection. And God, we pray that that resurrection power would fill us up, would sustain us. And as we begin to drift, that we would remember, that we would remind each other, fill us anew with your spirit and your power. Amen, amen. Can you give God a hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God.